0: Ah, beloved, I'm Pastor Trey, and you're now listening to the New Living Translation. It's This Bona Bonafide Bible Talk, because God speaks my language too, and I'm sure enough about to act like it. Let's go. I need you to stick with me for a moment, because this is going to throw us out of rhythm a little bit. Typically, this is the point where I would ramble for maybe three to four minutes before taking you directly into the scripture, the translation of the scripture rather. But we're not going to do that this week. So if you'd like, let's go ahead and consider this a bonus episode of sorts. Now, we're still going to have some bona fide Bible talk, but it's going to be about what we've been doing for the past few episodes here. For the first time in the history of this storied podcast, Story Podcast, <laughs> this story podcast with all- Two seasons or whatever. We made it through a whole book of the Bible, the book of Jonah. And last episode, we even put all of the translations in one place, so you could listen to the book of the Bible all the way through without my commentary until the end. Cause I'm not getting off that easy. My face on the cover for a reason, baby. You gonna hear me? But I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about how I landed on the book of Jonah and what that tells us about the philosophy behind this podcast in general. I was pretty open, I think, at the outset about what led me there. And it's Jesus is mentioned throughout the gospel accounts of the sign of Jonah, right? There are these times when people would approach Jesus, confrontationally speaking, and demand signs of him, the gospels tell us. He says that the only sign that I will give you is the sign of Jonah. Sometimes that's spelled out for us. Other times it's not. Typically, it's associated with the fact that Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, according to the book of Jonah, which, of course, echoes or shall we say, precedes foreshadows Jesus's being in the grave for three days and three nights before the resurrection. That association hasn't been made up by interpreters. It's actually explicitly spelled out in Matthew's gospel. So I don't want to discard that. But when I go back and I read the story of Jonah, it's interesting to note that the episode of being in the belly of the well for three days and three nights isn't the climax of the story. It's actually just one of many scenes in the story. But that's what a lot of us tend to focus on. We think of Jonah in the belly of the well. that's imprinted on us from an early age particularly if you grew up in the church you might have been in a sunday school classroom with a little poster of a man inside the belly of a big fish or a whale or whatever the favorite translation foisted upon you was and that's how religion works fundamentally speaking stories are passed down to us and we ascribe significance and importance To different signs and different symbols and different stories. This is how this story was inherited for us. But one of my jobs is that of a theologian. I view one of the main things in that job description as reimagining. Trying to wring significance from things that maybe we let slip under the rug. Thinking of injustices or things that I found lacking in my personal devotions. And when I look at the story of Jonah, there is so much fertile ground for harvesting meaning and significance in that story. And sometimes, because we're so stuck on our current reference and the things that have been handed down to us, we miss those opportunities. So, I'd like to explore that chasm for a little bit the chasm between what's actually there to mine and the things that we hear because of the current moment we occupy and the things that we currently ascribe importance and significance to the stories and the signs and the symbols that we cling to and what else is there and i can't think of a better launching point for that pursuit than some of my favorite urban prophets. yeah i don't know i'm trying to sound fancy and deep right now i'm talking about rappers so I need you to excuse me for these next couple moments. I'm about to talk my talk. Bonafide Bible talk with Pastor Trey. Let's get it. You almost went Eric Benet. Let the baddest girl in the world get away. I don't even know what else to say. Man, never go Eric Benet. That was Jay-Z on a song called Kill Jay-Z. That was released in 2017 now depending on a few things your social location your age whether or not you listen to hip-hop and r b whether or not you be listening to celebrity gossip and everything that line might have sat with you a certain way or might have missed you entirely but let me provide some context for you i mentioned that the song came out in 2017 Because it came out one year after an album that Beyoncé put out called Lemonade. Now, every time Beyoncé puts out an album, it breaks the internet. It just happened again last week when Renaissance came out. But Lemonade came out and everybody was speculating on what was just art, what was biography, how mad we needed to be at Jay-Z. And it quickly became apparent that Jay-Z went through at least a phase or period where he was not the best husband that he could be to Beyoncé. Hints dropped throughout that album in 2016. A year after Beyoncé drops Lemonade in 2017, Jay-Z drops an album called 444. And on 444 is this song, Kill Jay-Z, where he drops that line, Never go Eric Benet. Now I'm not going to pretend to know who is listening to me at this exact moment, you might know who Eric Benet is, you might have no idea who Eric Benet is. You might know Eric Benet as Halle Berry's ex-husband, you might be a fan of Eric Benet's music, I have no idea. But for the context of that line, the most relevant point to me seems to be that Eric was once married to Halle Berry, who is almost universally considered a beautiful woman, successful woman, a woman who eventually went on to win an Oscar, but kept cheating on her. None of that backstory is provided in that Jay-Z line. It is assumed that you would have some knowledge of what Jay-Z meant when he said, never go Eric Bonet. Now if you only know Eric Benet as a neo-soul singer and are unfamiliar with the Halle Berry episode, you miss part of the point that Jay-Z is trying to convey. If you are not at all a hip-hop or R&B fan and are completely and entirely unaware of the episode that came the year before with Beyonce revealing so much about their personal relationship on the Lemonade album, you might not know what Jay-Z is trying to communicate when he says that he almost went Eric Bonet and let the baddest girl in the world get away. You miss all of those things without having the context for when that line was written who was being referred to and the stories that were being invoked when all of these things happened all of these are important cultural moments and cultural clues all of these are important context to understand what is being transmitted through this song eric benet is not a verb going eric benet devoid of all of that context doesn't make a ton of sense It's only when we are at least partially aware of Eric Benet and Halle Berry's story and Jay-Z's relationship with Beyonce, along with the preceding revelations that were made on Lemonade, that all of these things start to fall into place. And if I lack that context, I'm lacking important information as far as understanding and rhetoric go. I hope y'all understand where I'm Headed with this. Let me give you one more example before we move on and hammer this point home. In November of 2000, a man by the name of Marshall Mathers, more commonly known as Eminem, released a song called Stan. It featured a sample from a British singer by the name of Dido. You might be familiar with the song. The chorus was the Dido sample. My tea is gone cold and I'm wondering why. It was a pretty solid song, all things considered. It was an impressive feat in the art of storytelling as far as hip-hop goes. Eminem went on to perform this song at the Grammys in 2001 with Elton John performing the singing parts. It was a really big song, to the point where the word stan entered like, the general lexicon and vernacular of young people to refer to somebody who was obsessed with a celebrity because the song tells the story of a fan who's writing letters to eminem about all of the things that are going on in his life and as his life begins to unravel he's frustrated with the lack of a response and then eminem finally gets the chance to respond after he's busy on the road touring or whatever and he starts telling a story like hey man maybe calm down because i heard about this one guy who went a little crazy and drove his car off a bridge with his girlfriend and everything and oh snap i just realized it was you right that's the story that's told in the song and stan like the word stan enters the lexicon to refer to somebody who is obsessed with a celebrity like people who join the the beehive are beyonce stands right you got barbies who are Nicki Minaj stands people who are obsessed with celebrities to an almost unhealthy point that's what that word means fast forward to the year 2022 eminem is announced as one of the performers at the super bowl halftime show and some people were excited about that some people not so much because eminem hasn't really been that big of an artist in the past couple of years he was huge in his heyday but some people got kind of defensive and I read this one comment that made me chuckle because it was like, wow, I didn't know Eminem had stands. And if you are somebody around my age, like I'm 31 years old, you're somebody around my age, you know that Eminem literally invented stands. The reason we call them stands is because of Eminem. And all of that context, knowing all of those reference points changes the way that I receive, that I perceive, that I understand this information and all of these stories what does any of that have to do with jonah i am so glad that you asked when we give ourselves permission to interact with the bible as cultural exchange understanding that these stories were passed among people and to people who were not us We are not the target audience of the Bible as we would typically understand that term. How do I know that? Because it's not even written in a language that I can understand. It is only through the efforts of people inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to read these stories, these scriptures, these symbols in a language that I can even partly understand. But the thing about languages, it often depends upon you having a shared reference point. So even in reading something in your own language, as we've discussed with these songs and hip hop quotes, if you don't have all of the reference and all of the information to pull on automatically, you might still miss some of the things that are being communicated. Part of my job as a theologian is to try to bridge some of those gaps with regards to what was being referred to. What were some of the contextual clues that might clue people in on some of the meanings And how does this stuff apply to us today, if at all? And the main reason I'm able to do this type of work is because I understand all of these things as speaking to a people with shared meanings, shared understandings, and comparing that to what I go through Every single day that I listen to music, I listen to poetry, I'm sharing stories with people, sharing inside jokes with people. And being a faithful Bible interpreter to me is helped by the fact that I try to be a faithful interpreter of my own time and context. So when you listen to the New Living Translation, please understand that my declaration that God speaks my language too is a declaration of faith that God is not constrained to the means of communication of people time ago and ages past, but that God is a living God who is able to communicate right here, right now in ways that can be heard, perceived, shared, and exalted. And to me, that's worth celebrating. Let me pray with you. almighty God of the ages, we thank you that you are not constrained as far as communication goes. And that just as you are not constrained by Jonah's obedience or lack thereof, that you are able to reach whoever you desire, by any means necessary, and in any language necessary. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear you and eyes to see you so that we can celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. Translation is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. You can follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. That's the number three, not spelled out, black men. You can find me on all social media platforms at trey 5 that's trey 5 Don't send me no Facebook requests though, like, I don't be over there, that's the bad place. This work has been made possible by a community of folks who've chosen to show their support through generosity. You can join us at Patreon.com slash 3BlackMen. Spell three out that time though, Patreon.com slash 3BlackMen. There you can find even more original content from Sam, Rob, and yours truly. Make sure you subscribe to, rate, and review the New Living Translation and Three Black Men wherever you get your podcast. And remember, real recognize real. Don't get caught looking unfamiliar.